You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. Matthew 25, verse 1. This is the parable of the kingdom. In Matthew 24, Jesus has been asked the question, what does the end of the age look like? What's it going to look like, Jesus, when your kingdom fully comes? What's, it, what's the world? What kind of shape will the world be in when you finally have to literally take over? And so he's just come out of that. He's told us about wars and earthquakes and famines and all the difficult things and the difficult times. And he tells us, he gives us a clue there uh, that the generation that sees all these things happening at the same time is the generation that will usher in that final moment. And uh, he adds in there blood moons and eclipses. And so when you read all of that in context and you look at the day and age in which we live and the frequency in which earthquakes and storms and tsunamis and things are happening, they have increased over the last uh, several hundred years uh, to an exponential amount. There are more earthquakes going on around the world today than have ever happened in the ages past and in modern times. And since... uh, since the church or since Israel returned to their land, since they have come back in 1948 and then in 1967 recaptured Jerusalem, we can mark and set the calendar that the final generation is about to see the final acts and works of God. In that last 70-year period, uh, we have seen everything accelerate in such a rapid succession. And I'm not a gloom and doomer. I'm an up and outer. I believe, I believe God's going to come, and I believe God's going to raise us up to where we need to be with him, equip us, and then cause us to come back to rule and reign underneath a millennial reign. That, that's a whole other teaching. But this is what we're headed into. Jesus is still on the subject of what will the last age look like as he's transitioning from chapter 24 into chapter 25. Now, understand the Bible didn't have divisions nor verse breakdown when it was written. And so when this was written, it was one continuous letter and one continuous thought. And you have to understand the context as you're reading to know where those divisions should go. So continuing with the idea that this is the, the, these are the people and these are the signs of the last generation, let's look at verse 1. Chapter 25, verse 1. I'm reading out of the King James, so it's got all the these and the thous. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now understand the virgins represent believers. Organized believers, those who congregate, those who come together, those who have a mission. In, in, in simple everyday terms, it represents both the, the Jew and the Gentile, but it represents the church. Mm. And five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels or, or in their vessels with their lamps. In other words, they brought extra oil. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. Now, I didn't mark this, but, and I've preached this in the past, this is a very important scripture because there's going to come a moment when both the Jew and the Gentile church that 
is in a state of compromise is going to wake up and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've lost something. We've forgotten something very important. Are you still with me so far? Look at this. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Now understand, this is not a a hard-nosed rejection. The church is, is saying, It's not that we wouldn't give you of our oil, even though you're requesting oil from us. It's that we cannot give you this oil. There's only one place you can get this oil, and it is from God alone. You have to go where oil is dispensed. You have to go to the place where oil is given out. You have to go to the place where oil is supplied. We don't have it. And even if we did have it, what we have to give you will run out. It will deplete because we must stay at the place of the oil reception at all times. Mm, I'm having fun already. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. And afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And and he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And then Jesus continues to teach in this thought, into the next thought, which is a story about the talents rather and what God has given you. And if you bury what God's given you and won't produce anything with it, it will come back to haunt you. So let me uh, share this. As I said, I scribbled this together. These are not organized thoughts, but they're thoughts that came to me this morning that I could not ignore, I could not get away from. And <clears throat> I, I, I want to preface what I'm about to say with there is not a mean bone in my body nor in my spirit towards anyone or any group of people. I want this understood before I say some of the statements that I'm about to make. The only reason I'm going here is there's an urgency in the hour in which we live that the church of Jesus Christ must pay attention to. Are you with me so far? So five were wise and five were foolish. This is a division in the church. This is a division amongst believers. In the first century, this was given to the Jew so that the Jew would understand that there's a Gentile church that will arise. He's telling his disciples There's coming someone who will arise. Don't get your hopes all hung up in what you've known up to now in your Judaism because they're going to bury their talents. They're not going to have oil when they need it. But today in which the day and age in which we live, that's what I love about God's word is that it's not trapped by time but that the word of God, like a diamond, can be turned and give a different hue in different generations at the right time for the right cause, for the right reason, for the right purpose. And so as we look at this today, I stand amazed because there was a portion of time, uh, a series of time, when I read this and I didn't really understand the dividing line of right down the middle, five and five. When I read this before, I just thought this was a a, a way for God to get across to us that proportionately uh, there there would be, you know, a percentage of believers who stray from the truth but think they're okay. But as I study it now and as I see the day in which we live and I have seen the blood moons and the eclipses and the things going on around us and the wars and the rumors of wars and all of these things and I read this and now I see the decline of the American church, I go, Lord, you did not miss this. You did not miss this not by one iota. The church of Jesus Christ is in a crisis moment. Are you with me so far? Uh, 
So here's how I want to approach this today if I can. In America right now, we're feeling the church of Jesus Christ, those of us who are believers, we're, we're feeling a little bit of a reprieve. <sighs> because in our political system right now, we have a president, like him or dislike him, we have a president who is sympathetic to the church. And he has a heart for the church. And he doesn't want the church to be squelched, and he doesn't want us to lose our voice. And so he has worked feverishly to make sure that the church doesn't lose its rights uh, to other small interest groups. And so he's worked very, very hard for us. And, and it makes us feel good to know that there are people going in daily to pray with our president and that our president, uh, now I don't know about his relationship with Jesus Christ. That's between him and God. What I do know is that he is favorable to us and he wants the guidance of God in the decision-making that he makes for our nation. He sees the un and understands that our nation needs a restoration, that something has slidden and fallen and gotten broken in such a way that it needs help. Am I speaking to the right crowd today? You, you're with me on this. So, so look at this. Here's something we need to understand. Now, this is a phrase. You won't find it in the Bible, but it's a phrase that is biblical in the sense that you can find it throughout the pages without these words. God would raise up uh, prophets in the time and in the day of every generation to speak to that generation when they would begin to slide away from the things of God. And they would arise and they would say, Israel backslid so many times and so many times God would have to send a prophet in to challenge the status quo and the government of the nation. In America, we're in a place where it's time for the prophetic voices to arise. It is time for the church, the prophetic church of Jesus Christ, to arise because we have this scenario that is given in Matthew 25 in absolute, absolute confirmation. Five were wise and were prepared with the oil of readiness. Oil is a representative of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. And five were foolish and took no spirit or oil with them. Yet they all wanted to arrive at the same place, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, the word says that they all, A-L-L, slumbered and slept. Now, if you understand the original language, it means they were dozing. How many, how many have a, a, a chase lounge like I do? And you kick that thing back. I don't think I've seen a full television program in about a year and a half now because every time I kick that chair back, I catch myself going. <laughs> and Pastor Colleen won't admit it, but she does it now too. And that's the picture that's being given. They weren't in deep sleep. They were nodding off. Beginning to beginning to get so comfortable that it was easy in that environment to not be challenged. Let's just, let's just relax. It's okay. Let's just relax. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're supposed to live our life all ramped up all the time and nervous. What I'm suggesting is, is that society can make us so comfortable with the things around us that sometimes we forget the lines of demarcation and we allow compromise to cross our borders. This is what the church has done in part. In part well, actually, all of us have slumbered and slept a little bit. 
But now God is giving a clarion call that there's a generation that needs to arise. There's a prophetic church that needs to have its voice. There's a church that needs to arise in the day, the time, and the hour to speak the oracle of God without fear, without fear of retribution, without fear of governmental control, without fear. Right now, we've been given a reprieve through having a president who now sides with the church and isn't designing things to squelch the church or keep our voice silent. He's working with us and working for us. Even at his own detriment, even at his own expense, even at his own spiritual warfare and natural warfare. The problem is, is when we got this president in office, we all went, whoa! Now we're going to have a voice. But I'm afraid we may have gotten in our recliner and relaxed just a little too much, became just a little too comfortable with the position we're in. Because we're three years in, year number four is about to pass. Should he get elected again, we'll have four more years. But what happens after that? We don't know. And so, at the risk of sounding real political, that's not my point today. My point is, church, wake up. Church of Jesus Christ, wake up. It's time. We've been given a window of opportunity, and if we waste it, we are going to look back and go, oh, Lord, if you could just redeem the time. He has redeemed the time if we will take this time and give him a prophetic voice in society around us. Who could say amen to that? I've got to hurry because I've got a little bit here on page that I need to get to. So here's where the church is right now. Five are wise, five are foolish. It's like being weighed in the balances. On one side, you have the wise church. On the other side, you have the foolish church. America, please hear my voice, America has never been in more danger than it is today. Why, Pastor? Because there's a, I started to say this a while ago and I didn't get there. As the church goes, so the nation goes. Because when the church won't have a voice, then those who are outside of the church system and those who don't know the Lord can't help but be what they are because they don't understand, they don't know, they think, you know, if, if, if it feels good, do it. That came out of my generation. If it feels good, just do it and we'll make laws to protect it. If a baby is inconvenient, sacrifice it. Come on. This is nothing new in America. This has been happening throughout the ages, and Israel got caught into this so many times until she became a foolish virgin and was bypassed for the lighting of the way to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In America, the church is hanging in the balance. On one side, we have the church that's saying, arise, 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 take your place, preach the truth, stand for righteousness, uphold what the word says. On the other side, we have a church that has, because of, I'm just going to throw it out there, I don't care if it gets sued, I'm going to throw it out there, I'm just going to tell you right now, I know this sounds, I, I, if you get offended, sorry about your bad luck. But here, the, the, that church, Willowbrook, that started all of this seeker-friendly thing back in the day did not understand that they were inviting the demons of hell into the church by letting the world tell us what makes them comfortable when they come to the house of God, compromised the word and the statute of God, and set us up for a great moral destruction in the church, and as the church goes, so shall the nation go. Is it all right if I just speak truth? 
And so we're in this, this balance today of will the church remain righteous or will the balance of the church begin to tip the scales towards unrighteousness? Because if we do, righteousness will lose its voice. And the nation will then have an anything-goes global church that will allow them to do what feels good and attach God's name to it and lead souls by the millions to a damnable ending. And if you don't believe there's a hell, you need to read the Word of God because the Word of God is the final say. And I don't want to see anyone end up in that situation. That's why I'm an irritant to those around me who are worldly because I don't want to see them end up that way. I don't want to see them end up in a place that was never intended for them in the first place. It was only intended for Satan and the hordes of hell, never intended for mankind. I've got to hurry. Man, there's so much in this. This may have to be a two-parter. But our job is to bring reformation. Now listen to me. I'm all about evangelizing. I'm all about evangel evangelization. I'll get it out. I'm all about evangelizing the world and winning the sinner. That's our job. Absolutely. But in America, right here, right now, the reason we are in this building on this hill is because God sent Pastor Colleen and I and you into this region because this has been prayed for for many, many decades that God would have a church that would stand in a moment of darkness and be a beacon of light and call to the remaining church of Jesus Christ that is dabbling and playing back to a place of sober-mindedness and serenity in God that we are are no longer dabbling. In other words, we've been called to this region to be reformers. Reformers. I'll get to that here in just a second. Society has mocked the church. Society has marginalized the church. Society has criminalized the church. Society has persecuted biblical opinion. And society has done everything it can to squelch our First Amendment rights in America. Any news media, when they speak of the church of Jesus Christ, the evangelical church, it is always with a negative spin unless it's a church that is compromising. If we, and I'm not here to pick on anybody, but if we do beer and hymns, Channel 2 News will come and they will do a nice expose upon us. Mm. If we allow gender confusion to be an acceptable standard instead of the standard of the Bible, they'll do a nice positive peace on us. Come on. And it's a lot easier to be popular than persecuted. But I got enough grit in my crawl that I'd rather be persecuted than popular if it means I have to compromise what the truth of the word is. Because I sold out to God when I asked him into my heart and into my life. I had such a sweet, pretty little message today, and here we are. Society wants to water God down to an all-inclusive, abstract idea to be considered in name only. They want a sin-accepting, baby-murdering, gender-confused, child-molesting church bent on taming down the Word of God. That's what society wants because they don't know any better. They don't like to come in here, and when the songs kick on, conviction hits. They don't want to hear the word that they're not right. They want you pat me on the back and make me feel good, Pastor. Society wants to manipulate all of these, these new theological thoughts when really are just sin. They want to 
manipulated into a global force of sin acceptance. Our president is favorable towards us right now, but he cannot bring reformation to our nation, ladies and gentlemen. It is not his job to bring reformation to our nation. Now, he can stand up and say, this is the way we ought to go. But if we don't get off of our padded pew and make a difference, nothing will change. And the next regime will come along, and everything will revert back to where it was. Is this too hard? Because you all are kind of starting to look at me like you're losing your life right now. The action of reforming uh, is an institution or practice. That's what a, the a definition of reformation is. It's the action of reforming an institution or practice to remake, reshape. So what's our job? To reshape the church to the biblical standard of God's ideal. Mm. If the church doesn't tip the balance of righteousness over unrighteousness, America will end in judgment. I know nobody wants to hear this. If church doesn't tip the balance of righteousness over unrighteousness, America will end in judgment. Judgment on a nation comes when the nation has no regard for God and his word. In, in our founding of our government, our founding fathers understood, remove God, have an uncivil society that is lawless. Put God as the standard and you have something to build towards. And they understood that, and they understood that principle. They understood that the Word of God, even though this is not being taught in schools the way it used to be taught, now we have skewed it and we're teaching everything but what is true about our national history. I want you to understand that it was the forefathers' uh, heart and understanding and ability and desire to build a nation that looked like God, that served God, that worshiped God, that recognized God. Mm. Mm. Judgment on a nation comes when the nation has no regard for God and his word and when it begins to shed innocent blood. Since 1971, we've been shedding innocent blood. A nation's greatest danger of judgment is when the church loses its way. God has shown us in Matthew 25, a church divided. This is exactly where we are in America. I believe in evangelism. I've already said this. I believe that we should go into all the world and make disciples of all men. <laughs> but we've been sent to this area to reform the standard of church so that the balances will tip towards the side of righteousness. For the foolish church will lose their ability to light the path of righteousness. They will run out of the oil. They have no Holy Spirit to empower their words with life. They have no Holy Spirit to give them a demonstration of power. They have no Holy Spirit to, to preach the truth and the immeasurable word of God. They have no power to change anything for righteousness, but only into sin acceptance. The Spirit is no longer required when you don't have oil. She no longer, he no longer, the Holy Spirit no longer attends churches that will not revere the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He no longer fills their words with a message of life, but their words only lead to utter destruction and darkness. God is truth, and he cannot lie nor attach himself to one. And when a church violates the standard of God's word, God has no choice but to back away from a people and from a leadership and a hierarchy that will only compromise and not preach the truth. If you're visiting today, I don't always preach like this. Sometimes a lot harder. <laughs> So, they vary from the word on sanctity of life. 
they vary on sexual perversion. And they have a denial of Christ as the only way to God. And it is to lose, they lose their effectiveness and their right to speak. Because if you compromise in these areas, you will not have any oil in your lamp to light the way to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You'll just be a sleeping, nodding church uh, sitting in the darkness on a corner somewhere, only making disciples that are twice the sons of hell. Oh, my goodness. Holy Spirit, help me today. I need, the, I need the security team to get me to the car safely. Mm. Half of the church has sold out to the globalist one-world philosophy of satanic deception. This is what the Holy Spirit gave me this morning. Church, it's time to make the truth known long, loud, and unapologetic. It's time to tell the truth. It is time to get a backbone. It's time to be honest. I'm not talking about being ugly. We're not supposed to be ugly. We're not supposed to be unloving. I'm not talking about that. If it sounds that way, get that out of your mind. What I'm talking about is we've got to tell the truth and stand on the truth and not back up from the truth no matter how, how unpopular it is with people around us. And no matter who across town might be preaching it in a different way. And I'm not, I'm not pointing to anybody. Now look at this. <clears throat> it's time to dominate. It's time to proclaim the truth of the kingdom because our time is drawing close to the end. We've been granted a reprieve, but all we want to do is to wait for our president to straighten out America for us. But our responsibility lies in the fact that we've been given a window to have a voice. We've been shielded from the wolf but, there, but we're still huddled in a corner in a cluster of sameness when God wants us to go and to subdue the world around us. We must win the church back to save America. How do we do that? Use your voice. Share the word. Tell the truth. Keep the faith. Vote only for platforms that support Christian values, period. Run for office. Come on. If you're going to change it, sometimes you have to change it from the inside out. Run for office. Tell a co-worker. Visit a friend. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for the church that is skewed. Don't sit over here and condescend. That's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is let's go in and lovingly win them back. Let's go in and remind them you're straying from the truth. Let's go in and circle them in prayer and uphold them until revival begins to shake in the walls of those that were once compromising so that the leadership will either arise to the occasion or will put in their resignation and God can put his man or woman in that place. So that brings me to this. We're almost through. Aren't you happy? Psalms 139, the 23rd verse and the 24th verse. This was where I was going to go in a whole different direction this morning, but the Lord just allowed me to tag it on the end of this message. Anyone mad at me? No one's raised their hand. That's good. That's good. I'm going to have, from now on, I'm going to have security team check and make sure there are no rocks in anyone's pockets when they come in. Church, we're not supposed to be ugly. We're supposed to be loving. And so if it sounds that I'm per, per, being a proponent of violence and ugliness and nastiness, please get that out of your mind. I'm passionate. And passion, passion comes out. And sometimes it sounds angry when it comes out, but it's not anger. It's passion. It's something on the inside of me. It's like my bones are on fire. And I don't want to see anyone lost. What I want to see, I don't want to see these churches fall off the scale. I don't want to see them join a global agenda that's going to destroy their membership. What I want is for there to be a shaking. I want there to be a winnowing a separating of the wheat from the chaff so that the sin falls away, but that that is good and clean and pure and righteous 
will remain. I want to see people who are really truly good at heart come to know him in the fullness of who he is and not dabble and play and wind up somewhere just short of the goal that God had designed for their life. Can you accept that? Psalms 139, the 23rd and 24th verse says this, Search me, O God. I'm going to bring this down where it really starts. Revival starts with me. Revival starts with me. We've been guilty for so many years of waiting for an evangelist to blow in, blow up, and we all just receive the residual of the shotgun blast, and we run out of here and go, whoa, we have revival at our church. And then people come for a few services until we begin to wane down because we didn't draw a circle around our life and say, me, God, bring a revival into me. I need a revival. You see, if I get a revival and you 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 get a revival, revival, when we come together, there'll be no stopping or winnowing down or waning away of the power of God. This is why Peter was able to pass by people, and people just being in the general vicinity of him could feel a power that emanated around his life, and people would receive healings and touches from God just because he passed by. Why? Because he was in personal revival with God. And this is something the church has lost. We've lost it. We've been trying to do it in a form and a fashion. But that's not what God wants. God, God could go all day long and not have good church. Okay, come on now. You know I'm as rowdy as anybody in church. I love good church. But can I just tell the truth? God could care less about our good church because what he's concerned about is did you get it? Did you hear my word? Did it produce faith? And did your faith take action? That's what God's concerned about. I just saw something last night that so blessed me, and this is not going to mean anything to anybody in the room unless you're my age. But when I was a kid, I used to love to ride my huffy bicycle. It was 70s lime metallic green. I had chrome fenders, chrome spokes. I had me a black and white banana seat. Mm. I had ape hanger handlebars. Mm -hmm. And my mom and daddy couldn't keep a pack of cards in the house because they were always close pinned to my spokes. I'd drive around the neighborhood. Now, there's no way cards sound like a motor, but in in your little kid, man, mm, I had a Harley. And then, as we got a little older, we got braver, and we started building ramps. We'd put a brick in an old board we'd steal from daddy's, you know, wood pile somewhere, and and then we'd jump that. And it might have been, we might have jumped as much as a cinder block high, but we thought we were flying through the air. And some of those landings weren't always so smooth. And we did wheelie contests where you could keep the front wheel up in the air. Now kids make us look like sissies. But we were the trailblazers for all of that craziness. And in the day... Every kid who had a bike like mine had a hero. His name was Evil Knievel. A guy who was so crazy he would take a motorcycle not designed for jumping and jump it over 14 buses or 30, I don't know, I can't remember, 20-some, 14 cars. I don't remember how many cars he could do. It It was amazing. Jumped over things, even tried to jump a canyon once. And we all thought, ooh, that's my hero right there. And so then we'd put another 
brick on our our little jump. Woo! We wanted to be like evil Knievel. And evil Knievel, he he was he was a hero. And heroes can help or help shape a, a generation. I'm not sure what our heroes today are shaping our generation for. I don't think you really want your little girls, your little boys, adhering to some of the things that's coming out of our music industry and out of our sports industries and things. I think you need to be cautious as parents. But in the day, we thought this guy was, he was Elvis on wheels. Mm. Had to throw that in. Anyway, uh, I, I, I was watching on television because for several years, he would pray before he did his jumps. Help me, Lord. And, but when it came to someone asking him about his faith, while he was imbibing on alcoholic beverages, he would say, I don't have any use for organized religion. And so a whole generation grew up under him thinking he was so cool. I saw, he, he passed away in 2007, I believe it was. But I watched an expose on him last night that just made my heart soar. He was being um, interviewed by the interviewer, and they got on the subject of Jesus Christ. And he said, you know, for years... I said, I hated organized religion. I hated it. He said, he says, I look back now and I go, how stupid can you be? He was known to be a straight shooter. He said, I cut myself off from the very help I was needing. And he lamented. He said, I, he said my time is about up. I know my life is drawing to an end. He says, but I tell everybody, I tell the people in the restaurant about Jesus Christ. I tell, I tell the people down at the, our garage that works on our car about Jesus Christ. Uh, I tell the shop that builds my motorcycles. Uh, yeah, he, he doesn't ride them anymore, but his sons all ride them. I tell them about Jesus Christ. He says, everywhere I go, I tell them, don't miss Jesus. You need Jesus in your life. He said, my only regret is that I don't have more time to tell people about Jesus. I said all that because it's never too late. As long as you can breathe on this side of glory, it is never too late for God to include you in his plan in a powerful way. Look at this. Psalms 139.23, search me, O God, and know my heart. That word search me means to thoroughly take a fine-tooth comb and brush through my life so that anything hidden beneath the surface will pop up and be seen so that it can be gleaned off of my life and taken away. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wickedness in me and lead me to the way everlasting. I don't have time to go into all of it today. We'll make it for another day. But if I went down the statistics of just the mental condition of the church of Jesus Christ, even the evangelical church. It would shock you how many people are sitting with secret sins and things going on behind the scenes that you don't know about. And what we really need, church, from, from beginning to end, whether we're on the side of the wise or the side of the foolish, we need Jesus to come along and to brush across to the sands and the grains of our life so that anything that's hidden in our soul, in our mind, in our will, in our emotions that is anti-God or against the Word of God or self-serving will rise to the top so that God can glean it off of my life. Mm. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me. 
know my thoughts. The church that will lead, that must lead from righteousness will also have to be a church of separation. Listen to me. I'm not saying avoid people. I'm not saying be ugly to people. I'm saying we can't do the things they do or it skews our message so that it has no power. I can't convince my neighbor he needs Christ if my mouth is more foul than his. I can't convince my neighbor he needs Christ if I've got a little something-something going on on the side or if I'm secretly hid in a closet somewhere doing something. My word is hypocritical. The church and the world has had every right to shake its fist at the church. Every right. We must set a true standard of love and humility. We must set a true standard of love and humility that is able to stand up in righteous indignation and chart the course of God's desire. We're not here to condemn the world, but we are here to help save it. And if we're going to be on the side of righteousness and be the lamplighters to the marriage supper of the Lamb, it will require backbone. It will require grit. It will require unwavering, unwavering principles. It will require faith and boldness and uncompromising loyalty to the truth of God's word. I didn't come in here to pronounce judgment on anyone. I got too much work to keep me straight to point my finger at anybody else. But my heart's cry today is search me, O oh God. Search me because I don't want anything hidden. I don't want anything muddying up the waters. I don't want anything hindering my ability to help someone else. I want to be in a state where I can be everything God needs me to be. Could you say amen to that? With every head bowed and every eye closed for just one moment. I know this wasn't the message you expected today, but it wasn't the message I expected to preach today. But it's a sobering one. And we're on this hill because God has a desire in his heart. And if we're going to have a revival on this hill in the way God desires it to be, then it must be done his way. We've got to forget churchianity and start finding Jesus. We've got to forget three songs in a sermon as much and find truth personally, individually. You shouldn't get your feeding solely from the man of God. You should get your feeding at home as you read and study, as you listen to other scholars, as you listen to the word, as you get the word in you, as you pray the word. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and those of you who are streaming today and those that are watching by television, bow your head right now. And I want to ask you just real quickly, you're in this room. You're watching by television. You're streaming. And this message has touched your heart, and you know that you, that you, across this room, streaming live on the Internet, or watching by television, I'm asking you right now, lift your hand up in faith. Don't let anyone intimidate you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't let anyone intimidate you in this moment. Lift your hand in faith. If this is you and you know you need to pray this prayer, lift your hand. Lift your hand. It doesn't matter how many times you've been to the altar. It doesn't matter how many times you've prayed. If right now I need this prayer, my hand goes up. Father, like Psalms 139, grant to everyone whose hand is raised, whose heart is engaged, to enlist us as your end time 
lamp lighters. We want to be enlisted, which means, Father, there's a standard that's different than what we've been living. And with my hand raised, God, I'm asking you to brush across, search me, God, brush across the grains of sand of my life. And if you dig up something, Father, that needs to be removed, then, God, here I am, and I'm asking you, remove my sin as far as the east is from the west, that I might not sin against you. And in those grains of sand, give me the ability to hide your word and the counsel of your truth that I would not live a life that would sin against God. Give me a message because of my stand with you that can help my neighbor, help my friends, help people I work with, help my children, help my spouse. I want to be an effective evangelist. I don't want to be someone who's just churched. We can be churched to death. No, we need you. We need relationship. We need your voice. We need your heart. We need you to lead us, guide us, direct us, teach us, mold us, shape us, and give us strength beyond our strength and ability beyond our ability and faith greater than our faith that we could live this life in such a way that we can begin to tip the scales of the church into the right direction, Father, for America. America deserves to live, not die. America deserves to live and not be judged. America deserves to be on the right hand of favor when it comes to the judgment throne of God. For the word's very clear that nations will be divided to the left and to the right, and entire nations will be judged. And we stand in the balance, Father, of the ones who understand and know the truth. And if you'll empower us, we'll do everything in our region, Father, to help tip the balance of the scales back to righteousness. Hear our prayer, Father, right now in Jesus' mighty name. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Infiltrate my, my mind. Infiltrate my emotions. Infiltrate my will. And allow me to bend to the will of Jesus and the statute of his word. Help me to live out the remainder of my days as a righteous heir of salvation. And we'll be careful to give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.